episode 120. Two middle-aged yeah. men in Cleveland, Mr. Ted Klopp. More and more looking like Oral Hershiser from the most recent baseball game he went to. When you had that jersey on, when you were there with your wife and kids, I, I nobody stopped me. No, There's nobody no stopped me. Ken Dorsnick here, going to bring you some fine entertainment. Ted, I know you have something to talk about, but we have to start the show right. Many yeah. people always ask about this, and I did my research. Time for some Jersey numbers. Always okay. our fan favorite. We'll start with the Cavaliers. Can Cavaliers. you name number 20s for the Cavaliers? I think you got a shot actually with one. Winston, was Winston Bennett number 20? Oh, wow. That wasn't even one I was thinking of. But, yes, he was number 20. Okay. Well done. Uh, oh, boy. I... I... The, the I only know. guess I'll give you is that this gentleman is still involved with the organization. Um, well, I don't know. Can't be Russell. Oh, okay. Also, sure. everyone's favorite, Eric Snow. Eric Snow, okay. Brandon yeah. Knight. Those those round out the, the top Cavaliers wearing jersey number 20. How about for the uh, Cleveland Indians? This one, there, oh. there's some good names on this one. Well, uh, I know who we'll have next week, but uh, or next show, I, I'm ready for that. But uh, number twenty, Mark. No, Mark Lewis was ten. No, Mark Lewis was also twenty. Well done. Was he? Okay, yeah, that's okay. a good one. Uh, what number was Kelly Shopping? I don't. I know he's not twenty. I'm not sure okay. offhand, but he's okay. not twenty. Uh, I did not see that name on there. Uh, you're going to tell me somebody that I'm going to be mad that I didn't get, but go ahead. Oh, wait a minute. No, no. Uh, I was about to say Alvaro Espinosa, but he was 10 as well. I believe No, that's correct. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Interesting list here. First of all, you got to say first, Frank Robinson. Well, I mean, that guy, you know, hall of famer, Otis Nixon, just a fan favorite. Good old Otis could run the bases really well. Wasn't he in the band in uh, Animal House? I think he was. Yeah. Okay. The Rascals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rick Manning. Oh. Number 20. Here's a name. You'll love this. As soon as you're Gorman Thomas. Remember some Gorman Thomas? Oh, yeah. I didn't. Uh, yeah. Willie Upshaw. Okay. And then uh, also, and actually, I didn't get this one either. I forgot. He was this is going to be a guy during the 90s. This last one is, yes. Yeah. Victor Martinez. Oh, okay. Well, gee, I think he, he was actually in the 2000s. In the 2000s. I thought there was somebody notable in the 90s, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, if you're not right, you're certainly not wrong. There you go. What about the the brown helmet folks? Any 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 20s that come to mind? I, I, I look at the list that I have in front of me. You got a chance at one. Uh, Pretty good chance, actually. There, uh, Eric, no, no, not Eric Turner. Eric Turner was 29. Um, it's got to be a defensive player, and I can't, uh, I can't think of anybody. You got some initials? DR. No, I, I, I got nothing. He's no longer with us. Uh, I was very good and then passed away way too early. I got nothing. Don Rogers. Don Rogers. Oh my. Yeah, that was yeah. that was uh that was a tough one. Earl Little oh. is also on that list. And then two running backs. One was in the actual that when the Cleveland Cavaliers won, he was in the parade. Okay. Uh as a, uh, as a Cleveland Brown did play for a couple of, for one other team. Was he a running back? He was a running back. Uh, 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 Leroy. No, not Leroy Kelly. Um, I don't know. He played with Bernie ball. Uh, a number 20 running back who played with Bernie. Yeah. Oh man. I don't know. Ernest Biner. He was 20? I thought he was he 21. Was, he was 20. Oh, okay. And then another guy who was a former giant, and this was around the Bill Belichick time because he just brought over these old, old giants to play for our team. 
Joe Morris. Remember Joe Morris, the small mm, yes. running back? Yes. He, he played some time for us and wore number 20. That's a pretty interesting list. So I did a little quick uh, Google search here of other number 20s for the Indians. And some of these yeah. from the 90s, this one guy is the guy I was thinking of. Steve Carsey. Steve Carsey, Was yeah. the guy I was trying to think of. Yeah. He was um, a closer, was he not? Uh, well, I don't Closer, re- I don't middle remember. or uh, end of the relief guy, yeah. But you've got uh, from the early 90s, Reggie Jefferson, that everybody oh, is going to be the great uh, first baseman, and he went nowhere. Turner Ward. Oh, my gosh. Turner Ruben Ward. Amaro was number 20 <laughs> in 1995. Jeremy Burnitz. Kevin oh Seitzer. And then if we go to the 2000s, you've got Karim Garcia. Oh, my. That. And maybe the a guy who could have been the biggest hero in Indians baseball history, Rajay Davis. Oh, my gosh. Was number 20. Hands down. But that didn't quite work out. Didn't happen. He did no. his job. Just we, we couldn't finish the game. No, couldn't finish the game. Hey, did you see uh, that uh, Crocker Park got an award? No, I did not. So Chain Store Age Magazine... Uh, uh, sent out its uh, 2023 top retail experiences in the country, the whole country. Crocker Park got fifth in the country. Wow. Huh. Number five. They uh, they take into account entertainment, community engagement, innovation, and overall visitor experience. So the top five retail centers, according to the magazine, the Mall of America in Minnesota, Tuscan Village in Salem, New Hampshire, Fenton in Cary, North Carolina, Naperville Crossings in Naperville, Illinois, and Crocker Park in Westlake. Huh. How about that? All I can tell you about that place is it's like a black hole. You go there and it seems like you can never leave because there's just every story you could ever imagine. And the eating and drinking is great there, too. But that's very cool. No, that's great information, Mr. Klopp. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. They uh, they Legacy Village, if I'm not mistaken, on the east side came in first as the new outdoor experience. And yeah. then I think Crocker Park took Legacy Village and, you know, amped it up by a couple hundred percent. Yes, they did. Oh, but uh, yeah, so congratulations and uh, some good news for uh, Cleveland. How about that? That's great. Well, coming up on this week's show, Brad Forenza is here. He's the writer and producer of a scripted audio podcast drama called Around the Sun. Season three is coming up. We're going to talk to him about the show and about creating a scripted audio drama, like a radio drama from uh, you know, radio yesteryear. Dusty Sloan is here. He's got another historical moment in Cleveland baseball, though not for Cleveland. We seem to have that a lot. John Grabowski is also here. He will give us a history lesson on Cleveland's West Side Market. So we've got that and plenty of nonsense coming up. And now... A woman's perspective. Why are all blonde jokes one-liners? So men can understand them. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Ted, we have good news, which is always great. I think we actually have two items of good news. Okay. The first involves Philadelphia Phillies star Bryce Harper. He was taking pictures with fans as part of a promotional photo night. But during the event, he was spotted on the side of a crowd of people consoling a young boy. The boy Mm. had apparently gotten excited and then separated from his family. The seven-time All-Star consoled the boy and stayed with him until he was reunited with his family, at which point Harper posed for a selfie with the boy and his two brothers. Later that night, Harper homered. Wow, that's a great story. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. You, you're you a big league ball player, but you know when to switch into dad mode. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Knowing when to basically humble yourself and spend time with the kid that they'll probably never forget for the rest of their lives. Very cool. And then, of course, he switched back into baseball mode later in the evening. Yes, he did. 
Yeah. We also want to say congratulations to Fairview Park High School senior Owen Darnell. He is in the Young Marines, the Young Marines program, and recently returned from the 2023 National Leadership Academy Advanced Leadership School in California, where he was named one of the top 10 graduates. Each of the 50 attendees had individual and collective goals to develop their leadership, mentorship, and management skills while competing in physical challenges and being evaluated on their knowledge, skills, and abilities. So great job by Owen Darnell. That's awesome. Hats off to a nice young man from the local area of Fairview Park High School. They have to be very proud of him. That's what we need in Cleveland. We need some leadership. Another history lesson with our favorite history, Professor John Grabowski. John, I have one today that is got a lot of history with Cleveland, but it, I believe very soon they're going to be doing some work on this area. And we're going to talk today about the West Side Market. What history lesson can you tell us about the West Side Market and what, what information do you have for us today? Uh, do we have an hour and a half? <laughs> May, may have so, you know, I guess I guess there, 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 there are two basic lessons here. One, one is to understand that Cleveland and Ohio City were separate communities. Cleveland established in, uh, in 1796, and Ohio City, the West Side, opens up for settlement. Uh, Native Americans held claim there until 1805, so the two separate communities. So there's a West Side market, and there were markets on East Side, and it gets the whole history of markets because where did you shop? And so each of these communities uh, at that point, it's something we're seeing now in the new marketplaces, farmers would come in on the main roads from the farmlands and they'd put their goods for sale uh, in, in markets. And uh, so Ohio City had its, its own market. It started in 1819, but it actually started on Franklin Circle. It was kind of an open air market there. But already two people had, Richard Lord and uh, Josiah Barber had given land at what is now West 25th and Lorraine for public use. Now, this gets into a longer story. When Cleveland and Ohio City merge in 1854, the city of Cleveland decides to take that area of Franklin Circle and, and turn it into a, a park, one of the first parks, so Franklin Circle Park. And so the market has to move, and eventually it moves to the... Uh, let me get this right. The uh, northwest corner of what is now the uh, intersection of Lorraine and West 25th Street, West 25th Street being Pearl Road. And that's the thing that farmers would come down Pearl Road. You go to Parma, that's the farm route right in right into the west side. In Cleveland, you know, the farm, uh, Hinsman Woodland, that's where the farmers came in. So Cleveland has Central Market, Sheriff Street Market, so forth. And, and that's now where athletes get paid mega bucks to play basketball. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, but the one on the west side is uh, they they basically, it's an open air market. And that site, it's, it's called Market Square. It's right across from the current market. And, and then they eventually build a one-story wooden building and it houses that. And as the city, it's now a unified city, is growing up. During the progressive period, they decide that they need a new market house. And uh, that's when the current one is built. And it's started under Tom Johnson's administration. Uh, Johnson dies before it's completed. He dies, I believe, in 1911. That market, which is by Cleveland, most, one of the most famous architectural firms in Cleveland, Bell and Benish. They were the Wade family's architects. They did the Wade Memorial at Lakeview Cemetery. They did a number of striking buildings. But they designed that market house with a huge interior, almost like a cathedral, that mm -hmm. tower, and then the outside stalls that are there. Yep. And so it's a municipal market, and that's what it's been for years. Um, and uh, it was one of these places where, well, I'm, I'm doing the game, if I can recall, I had an aunt who lived on the west side. We were east siders, and we would periodically go to visit her. And, and we'd go into the market, and I was a young kid, and, that, and that's where you could see cow's heads, eyeballs, and all the innards of the animals that you don't find in a supermarket. And all the things that kids find cool. Cool, yeah. So that, 
And and basically the stalls, many of the stalls for many years were owned by families year after year, sausage makers, whatever. So there's a history of it. You could still find some of those stalls that that are that are you know, have been owned for ages. And of course, there's a lot of issues going on with the market now. They're trying to change the administration. Uh, but the one thing that is driving the West Side market, and I think the West Side market drove this, is that renaissance along West 25th and Lorraine. Um, yes. And, you know, I would argue that that started with Great Lakes Brewing, uh, setting up shop there. And then people began to see just how cool that market was. And, and now that is one of the hottest places in town to live. Uh, and so, you know, it's, you know, there, there are issues that have to be dealt with in the market, but it's going to survive. It's a fabulous piece of architecture. You know, I was driving past it the other day. And, of course, they're working on that huge bell tower. Uh-huh. And and if you know the 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 over the lintels, yeah, it's like they're they're yeah, animal heads on on the lintels, and it's it's almost as if you're looking at a cathedral or something like that. And Hubbell and Benish were really inventive architects, and the st- and the brickwork is fantastic. I'm curious about that that bell tower and whatnot. Uh, do do you have any knowledge as to? What I mean, obviously, there's a clock up there now, but it's a market. What's its purpose other than obviously it's very unique and it gets some attention? Well, I I, th- I think in a way, Habel and Banish were almost creating a cathedral to food. Yes, you know, <laughs> yes. I'm not yep. sure. And if, if if anybody's been in an old market house, you know, surviving in Europe, you're going to see some of the same treatments there, because th- this was the place where everybody came together to shop. And, and, you know, until the supermarket killed it, until the automobile killed it, people who lived on the West Side, that's where you got your stuff. That's where. And the fascinating thing for me, because I study immigration, is I've watched the, the cuisines within the markets change with the immigrant population of Cleveland. So you go from German and Slavic material of foods there, they're still there, but you're going to Asian culinary things. So it's, it's you know, the shift. It reflects the people of Cleveland over time. Oh, it certainly does, John. No, I appreciate it. Well, last question for you. I know you've spent years at the market. You talked about some of the different things. For me, one of the oddest things I saw was first time I ever saw a cow tongue. That was it. How about for you? When you went to the markets, what's one of the things that you saw there that was just different that you didn't see anywhere else? Uh, I, I just saw... I just saw the livers and, and you know and and the insides of the cow. They weren't packaged. They weren't under under saran wrap or whatever else. They were just there and they would be sliced up for you. Yeah, you were you going through that? And I think uh, dare I say that was enough to make me a vegetarian at times. <laughs> you know, and and my mother went way back. She grew up Slovenian and you know went through the depression and. Uh, one of her favorite foods was kidneys. Mm-hmm. And when she cooked kidneys, my father left the house. <laughs> no, and I, you know, and that, that, that was it. And my father was brought up Polish. And uh, one of the Polish delicacies that he did not like was chadnina. Oh, yeah. Duck blood soup. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, so we well. never had that. But when mom made her kidney stew or whatever else, dad left the house. And I left it too because I couldn't stand the smell. <laughs> oh gosh, John! Great stories. Thank you once again for your information on the West Side Market. Certainly one of the gems of Cleveland, and I know they're putting some money into that to kind of do some renovations as well, which is great to see. So yeah, and so, I, I would you know if you're people are listening to this podcast and they haven't been to West Twenty Fifth and Lorraine for a while, they need to go down there to see the enormous changes. It is just unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. yeah, it's there's a lot of development. It certainly looks much different, even from last year. It looks completely different than what it did. So, know, but yeah. It's super exciting. It seems to change daily. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you again. We really appreciate it. And once again, talking about the West Side Market. Have a great day, John. You too. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. about northeast ohio ted we had a wonderful time this past week 
We were in Northeast Ohio. We were all over the place. I, I'll just focus on this weekend because th it's been a lot, and I don't want to bore our audience by just naming all these different places. So I'm going to go with two. Uh, the first one is I had the opportunity to go to the preseason game for the Cleveland Browns versus the Washington Commanders, which mm. I guess that name's going to change again. Yeah. So I was given seats for my brother. He's a season ticket holder. I am not. I, my favorite seat is here at uh, Rocky <laughs> River on the couch where I can get my own beer and use the restroom when I want. But uh -huh. A1 and I decided we're going to go. So we checked it out. And the, first of all, the game was delayed by an hour and a half because of weather. Yeah. So, which actually worked out well because it's kind of the driving situation there. And obviously parking is a, a bit of a mess. But the seats we sat in, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just explaining where we sat. So they yeah. actually all around the stadium now. If you take a look when you watch games, there are seats, which I'm not sure how this is going to work. There are seats in front of the people that had the first seats in the stadium. So like the dog pound row one, they've put another row in, which is are these specialty seats. They call them like club seats where you get access to the cardiac club, which is actually at times you might feel like you're going to have a heart attack. So you're, you're pretty happy to go to the cardiac club because it's like three floors up to get there, but they, they call it field seats. And what it is, you're literally on the field. All you have in front of you is the field. Your view is okay. On one side of the stadium, the other, not so much, but it was very interesting. So we sat there and when you sit in seats like that, you, you have to take in the experience and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was cool. The Browns ended up losing. We saw a streaker that actually came not too far away from us from another section. So we saw that, but it was kind of how, how, how can I say this? When the game started an hour and a half later, a lot of people didn't stay. They mm -hmm. left. And then the cardiac club, they lost power. So poor Andy Baskin before the game was trying to <laughs> do a show and he was in the dark. He, he was in the dark. You could tell he wasn't happy. So I didn't even say hello to him. I do know Andy is a great man and, I could tell he was frustrated. So it was, uh -huh. it was a pretty interesting experience. And then after we were done, we just went home. So it was cool. But uh, I don't know that stadium to me, they're talking about doing different things. This is once again, maybe a little bit of a rant. There's just no character there. I, no, I, I'll just none. leave it at that. I go to other stadiums, yep. college, pro. There's so much more character. It's a giant there, piece of cement. It is a giant piece of cement and that's probably one of the best things i could say yeah you got the bright lights and you got a team on the field and yeah you're gonna cheer but boy i'm not going there because i want to see something cool at the stadium that's where i'm at yeah yeah okay so i did that and then i had a quick trip to milford ohio which is right near cincinnati i had a um, my godchild got married so we spent some time oh. there and i would highly recommend the little miami brewery mm. very good place that's where the wedding took place so if you're ever in that area around cincinnati I highly recommend that. So, Ted, that's my out and about. Okay. I, uh, I throw the baton to you. Um, hopefully, we'll be talking about a baseball game. And I think you guys did a couple other things this past week, too. So, we did go to a Cleveland Indians game. We went to uh, the – who did they play? Um, God, I can't even remember. But uh, we sat uh, upper deck just to the left of home plate. I have no recollection of who they played. That's terrible. But I can tell you they – I mean, the, the food's fine. Food's great. Yeah. Of course, you know, I'm the dad. So my wife spots some woman four rows up and a section over with fancy special nachos. Mm. And she says, oh, those look good. Which – what does that translate to, Ken? You want you want to – what does that mean? I need this. No. So I got to go find out. I got to talk to the woman. Hey, where'd you get those? Now we're behind home plate on the third base side. You want to know where the special nacho place is? Down below. Lower level right field. Yep. Oh, <laughs> all the way. Yep. All the way. Steps in. Yeah. Steps in. So, oh, uh, and then, and then I kind of lost it because I get back and, uh, so I come back with the nachos, then I go back down and I get the drinks and the hot dogs. And one of my kids had asked for popcorn. Well, you know, each of these uh, uh, concession stands have different stuff. 
So you got to go. Yes. I got to make multiple trips. Yep. So I go back up to the seats and I got the hot dogs and the drinks. And my one son's crying because I didn't get him any food. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm still going. I'm sorry. I haven't seen any of the game yet because I'm, I'm a food Uber. So oh gosh. Yeah, we had a good time. And then we ran the bases afterwards. We watched the the uh Guardians uh butcher the ninth inning and lose the game, but you know, that's the way it goes. And then we also went to a Lake County Captain's game. Oh, nice. And that was uh fun and enjoyable, and we had really good seats for that. Uh 20 bucks, and we were second row behind uh home plate. How about that? Nice. That's awesome. Um, the only two things that I will say that I I think that uh, if they're a real baseball team, they need to rectify. The day that we were there, no peanuts anywhere in the ballpark. Really? I don't think you should be allowed to play baseball if you can't sell peanuts. Was it peanut free that day? Or? No, they just were out of them. They were and out of them. There was a stand and they had foot-long hot dogs. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be great. This will be just like... When I used to go to the old municipal stadium and get my foot-long hot dog, right? Yeah, right. I go get the – I order the foot-long hot dog. They give you a foot-long hot dog in a regular-sized bun. The hot dog's longer than the bun. I, I, yeah. Yeah. The the hot dog didn't even fit in the little – I don't know what that thing is that they call the little hot dog holder thing, that, that paper thing. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have foot-long hot dog holders. Oh my! But uh, well, it's the end of the year, so maybe they're they're maybe they're running out of stuff. Could be, could be. Who knows? Who knows? Did they win? Uh they did. Yes. Uh, we oh wow! Okay. A double header well, one for the week. They won both. Nice. And my kids got uh, baseballs from the team. It was great. Oh, that's and they great. Got to run the bases. Nice. Which yeah. experience did they like better? Lake County oh, yeah. Captains or the uh, Tribe? Uh, Guardians, Tribe, whatever you prefer. I they didn't say 50-50. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. Yeah, I know which one I like better, but you know, uh, I figured as much. Yeah, you, you like the one where you didn't see most of the game and you walked around the whole time. That's, right? Yeah, I, I felt like I was in great shape after that. Yeah. Then I sat Mr. on my steps. big fat side and had a bunch of nachos. That looks really good. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. Yeah. Oh, Ted. Well, thanks for being out and about. Northeast Ohio, spending your hard-earned money to uh, support our local businesses. Ted, thanks. Thanks for all you do. Mm. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, time for uh, news. A Louisiana Ready. woman welcomed her fourth child last month. Delijah Snowton was born on July 20th. She has two sisters. 12-year-old Kamira was born on July 20th of 2011. And six-year-old Deliah was born on July 20th of 2017. Hmm. All three sisters have the same birthday. Wow. What are the odds on that? That's crazy. Well, uh, they do have a brother who messed it all up and was born in February of 2014. There's always somebody. Yeah. Got to have one of those people. Yeah. A delayed flight, nothing new, but the reason an Iraqi aircraft was delayed is certainly unique. Uh, apparently a bear in a crate in the cargo hold escaped the crate. The bear had to be sedated by the bear had to be sedated by specialists so it could be removed from the plane. The plane, by the way, was headed from Baghdad to Dubai. How do you explain that to uh, everybody? Um, we right, have a I delay was... right now. We're uh, we're gonna we're gonna just uh, we're gonna have to stay here for a bit. A bear got out of the crate. Yeah. Just so you know, no, nothing to worry about. We'll just we'll take care of it. Nothing to see here. Oh my gosh. Speaking of nothing to see here, August <laughs> means back to school, but students in Northwest Elementary in Tampa, Florida, shared their first day back at school with a colony of bats. Oh. 
The bats took up residence in the school, and it's illegal to block bats from their roosts during mating season. Oh, my. So some classrooms and hallways were closed because of the bats. Don't worry, though. A wildlife expert says kids are at school during the day, and the bats don't come out then. No, they come out at night. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Now, well, that's going to make you good knowing that there's bats around. That's nice. how many how many moms do you think would say, oh, OK, in that case, Johnny, go on to school. Yeah, I, I think you're going to get some calls. That's my two cents. Bat mating season ended yesterday. <laughs> a, uh, a Michigan mom bought a package of organic spinach. Her daughter was checking out the package at home. When she spotted a live frog inside. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mom, Mom Amber Warwick says she's just relieved the frog was found before it became a meal. I'm about to, you know, get some frog legs and some garlic butter. That sounds good. Oh, uh, she bought the Earthbound Farms product at Meyer. Meyer says the frog was carefully relocated to a new home outdoors. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah, set set free. Yeah, probably. That is, I, I guess you got to watch your spinach. Uh, Warwick got a refund from Earthbound uh, Farms, and they have opened an investigation. Interesting. Yeah. Here's the spinach. Open it up. Here's a frog. Hmm. I don't know. That that would freak me out. I'm not yeah. Gonna lie. That's that would be a little rough. Now, if Fozzie Bear popped up and started telling jokes, then you then different you'd story. Have to- Especially if it was Grover, too, a big Grover fan. Yeah, okay. In Colorado, a driving school employee was trying to park in a spot in front of the community driving school. Instead, the the driver drove right into the building. Oh, no. no. A photo of the crash showed most of the cars stuck in the driving school's front window under a sign that said, Learn to Drive. Oh, God. Shattered glass, broken bricks, everything else is around the car. Police say there was only one minor injury. The driving school quickly noted that the driver was not a driving instructor and the car was his own. (laughs) Oh, my. That's, That's some viral advertising right there. Well, luckily, no one was hurt. That's the big part. But, well, great yeah. stories. Uh, sports, just before baseball's trade deadline, the Miami Marlins acquired slugger Jake Berger from the White Sox. To celebrate, the club offered $5 hamburgers at the next home game. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The I'd only thing that right would make this story better is if Jake Berger was a vegetarian. That would be that would be outstanding. Or if the Cleveland Guardians picked up Tim Nachos. <laughs> they had five dollar nachos. Yeah, Man, those look good. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, they're in right field in the lower level. <laughs> Go get them. <laughs> I'm Ted Klopp. That's that's news to me. Blah 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 blah. Our guest today is an actor, a writer, and a producer. Currently doing all of that for a podcast, an episodic podcast called Around the Sun, which is presented via the Broadway Podcast Network and available, well, everywhere you listen to this show. So let's talk with Brad Forenza. Brad, thanks for your time. Is this Thank you, uh, Ted. Are we hearkening back to uh, old radio shows with uh, an episodic podcast? Yeah, days of radio plays and scripted audio drama. We even had a season ripe with Alien Invasion last year, season two. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about what Around the Sun is. Sure. Well, like many 
pet projects around the sun cut its teeth during the earlier days of pandemic when we were stuck inside. And just because we're stuck inside doesn't mean the creativity goes away. And I have always been a writer and had a series of 10 minute plays that had been put on their feet and shopped around from festival to festival around the country. And I wanted to make them live a bit more permanently in the universe. And strangely, the pandemic was an opportunity to do that, to ask people that I had worked with before with some visibility that I don't have to participate in an audio drama, bring it back to the days of radio plays, as you just suggested. They were free. It was locked down. And the rest, as they say, is history. So we're going into season three this fall, 2023. Had the opportunity to listen to a couple of your episodes. Very interesting work, I must say. Much different. I found it very entertaining. Uh, first of all, congratulations! You got you won Thank best you. scripted podcast in twenty twenty one. Absolutely outstanding. So you have a different background, as Ted kind of mentioned. You're involved as an actor. You do some writing. You're a producer, and then you're also a professor. Oh, so you did your homework, Ken. <laughs> I did my homework. I have my moments, as Ted, as Ted will say. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But I guess the question that I have is incorporating all those things in your life. Is that obviously, is that what we're hearing on the podcast? Is some of those the, all, different experiences that you have and ideas and all that? Does that come through on the podcast? I think so. I mean, I can't divorce myself from who I am and what my lived experiences are, just like neither of you can and most people can't. So... While I don't steer into academic content or research with respect to writing a scripted, episodic, continuous audio drama, I think it's all part of the human experience. So meeting new people, meeting thousands of wonderful, wide-eyed students who want to learn, it has an effect on a person. And being a researcher of human services also adds to my understanding of different situations that human beings find themselves as recipients of social services. Thank you both for having me on, by the sure. way. And the fact that you've listened and know my background, I'm all the more <laughs> humbled. I have to tell you both, I was literally just in Cleveland for the very first time this past weekend. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame awesome museum, awesome city. And that was uh, piggybacking off of a trip to Jamestown, New York, to the Lucille Ball Comedy Fest. So I had a great trip up to your neck of the woods for the very first time and loved it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's always, it's always nice when people have good experiences in our, uh, our little place. So tell me, uh, you're, this is season three. Now, if I want to yeah. get, um, if I want to go through this, do I need to listen to them in order? Or it kind of looked like these are, um, you, it, it helped, but they're, they're individual stories? They're mostly individual stories. Certainly seasons one and seasons two, which are all in the bag. And as you said, your listeners can find them wherever they listen to podcasts, including your wonderful podcast, and they can enjoy them in a self-contained kind of way. So if they have a favorite star, actor, personality, and they want to listen to just that episode, they're not going to miss anything by not having listened to all the episodes prior. Creeping up on season three, because I got to keep it interesting for myself and hopefully grow and evolve with the times myself, Season three, which is dropping, like I said, fall 2023, is going to have a continuous plot line. So the voice acting ensemble functions more in a continuous way as opposed to a one-off or two-episode kind of way. Uh, but the episodes, even in season three, can still be enjoyed by themselves. It just might make more sense if they're listened to from start to finish. But if you're a big Adasa fan or Jenny Kwan or anyone else who's been in those prior seasons, those episodes can be enjoyed in a self-contained kind of way. Brad, obviously with Ted and I, our podcast is obviously much different than yours. We kind of talk about current topics and we have interviews talking to people like yourself. I guess for the people at home, not understanding the podcast world, 
world and putting things together. I always find it interesting. How long does it take you? Let's say one of the episodes from season oh, three. How long does that take you to put something like that together? That's another great question. And because it's season three, I'm very much on a production clock that backs into the calendar year. So uh, of to get a season launched and out there distributed to our wonderful listeners is a year-long process. And at this point, not so much season one, because those episodes were in the bag as 10-minute plays, and then I just kind of repurposed them, converted them, made them accessible to a listening audience instead of a theater audience. But seasons two and three have been on this calendar year timeline where it's writing the episodes for this audio drama podcast medium, and then doing all the typical pre-production stuff, casting people, getting them contracted because they're all professional performers, and then recording the episodes, and then post-production is editing them. So with editing, as a writer, you're telling a story even if that's not how... I would previously pre all this around the sun stuff would have considered storytelling. But when I edit, it's like composing, it's like adding punctuation. It really affects the performance that's already in the can from the actors. So it's a year long process. And then of course, promoting it thanks to your good graces is a whole different skill set and requires me to tap into some extroverted personality traits that aren't necessarily there when I'm writing it and I'm quiet and by myself <laughs> and plunking out these episodes. So tell us a little bit about some of the other members of the cast. You mentioned that these are professional uh, theater folks. Uh, who are we listening to in the show? Oh boy. Well, season three, which is coming up and thankfully I got it all in the bag before the SAG after a strike. I'm a SAG after a member, so I sympathize with that issue. Uh, I'm allowed to talk about my project because it's my project. And at the same time, here's who's in season three. Uh, now I can't forget anyone, so I'm gonna do it alphabetically. Apologize, uh, apologies if I take a hot second. Season three, we have Francois Clemens from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. We have Judy Gold, Emmy winner for The Rosie O'Donnell Show, Terry Hu from Disney's Zombies. We have Wilson Germain Heredia, Tony winner for Rent, Jay Rodriguez, an Emmy winner for the original Queer Eye installment. We have me, for whatever that's worth. I'm way out of alphabetical order here. We have Robert Fanaro from The Sopranos. We have Katie McLean, a three-time Emmy winner for her many roles on daytime television. And last but not least, we have a certain Oscar winner, Mrs. Estelle Parsons, whose resume is so voluminous and at the same time, perhaps best known for playing Blanche Barrow in Bonnie and Clyde. So that's who's coming up. And then behind us in seasons one and two, it's a cast that's 30 people deep at this point, more than 30, which is just wacky to say, but it's doing well. So thank you, listening audience. Brad, my question for you, what an impressive of, of different actors and uh, performers that you have on the podcast. Once again, maybe stepping a little bit behind the curtain for many of us that don't know the industry well, how do you get these performers to be part of this? How does that process work? So the names that I just mentioned, while I've become friendly with some of them, uh, they weren't necessarily in my social network back during pandemic. But some of the names attached to season one, I had the privilege of working with as an actor, as a student in New York City in workshop contexts and those are the people I referenced. They were willing to do the project season one because they trusted me. They knew my working style. They knew my intentions were good. And then I think their names just helped other people say, yes, it made it easier for people who didn't know me and didn't necessarily understand what I was trying to do to, to get to yes a little bit quicker. And it is ultimately a professional project. So now that we're post-pandemic. It is 
a bit more of a business skill set that I'm tapping into to get people to yes. And at the same time, because the work is there, it speaks for itself. And someone like Ms. Parsons can refer to what's already been done and de facto trust me or understand what it is that I'm trying to do here. Awesome. Well, uh, one more time, how how long are the episodes? What's the is there a best place to find it? Or can people interact with you on social media? That kind of thing. Thank you, Ted. They can certainly interact with me. I wish I had, you know, an interesting social media life. They won't find any FOMO through my social media handles, <laughs> which is at Brad Forenza. Um, but, you know, when it's project time, they'll find the episodes pretty easily. And the episodes, if you're giving me a platform to pitch here, the episodes are generally 10 to 15 minutes long. So it's not a minute or two of a Instagram video, but <laughs> short enough to listen to on the checkout line of the grocery store or a drive waiting to pick your children up from school at 3 p.m. Um, or brushing your teeth. <laughs> or if you're a New Yorker like me, a quick subway ride. They're they're nice and user-friendly in that sense. And the medium, not for nothing, as Bruce Valange said, if I'm name dropping, he's part of season two and he actually has some some of that alien plot line. But he said what's cool about the medium is that it empowers the listener to kind of create the world with their mind's eye to populate the visuals of the stories that they're telling. And in 10 to 15 minutes, generally we're locked into one set, one metaphoric set. And yeah, it's all audible storytelling where the listener creates the visual world in their mind's eye. So we can have aliens. We can have an alien invasion. <laughs> we can, in season three, we're in a snowy mountain region. We can imagine that world. Wow. I I don't know that I ever imagined the words uh, quick and subway ride for New York being in the same sentence, but that's... Uh, well, I, it's all relative. If you're in a car or above <laughs> ground, it could they would need to be half hour episodes minimally. Got it. Got it. Okay. Three miles, well, 90 minutes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, Brad, thank you very much for uh, taking the time and best of luck with uh, season three. Thank you so much, Ted and Ken, and thank you to your listeners. And thanks for sharing the awesome city of Cleveland with me over the weekend. Ted, it's time for some overachievements. And we have two of them today. And the first okay. one, a museum in suburban Chicago is displaying 2,098 sock monkeys. That's correct. 2,098 sock monkeys. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this or not. It's a Guinness World Record. Oh, How about that? How about that? The museum's owners started collecting sock monkeys in 2006. Mm. 17 years later, Arlene and Michael Okunu now have their collection verified with a plaque to go along with it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, how, I mean, what do you just go on eBay or you I, just go to the store and pick up the sock? I'm not familiar with the sock monkeys. Are you? I know. I don't know this. Can you imagine uh, what they must charge to get into that museum? Oh, it's got to be big. <laughs> Huge money. Yeah. At least $20. A cyclist is trying to get his effort recognized by Guinness. He rode 500 miles across Iowa backwards. <laughs> Will, Will, Will Walker was one of about 30,000 cyclists taking part in the ride across the state. He was the only one sitting on his bike's handlebars, though, looking over his shoulder to steer. The current record for cycling backwards, 210 miles. I love his name, Will Walker. Will Walker. He doesn't walk, he rides a bike. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Will Walker. Yeah. Will Walker, Jake Berger. We got Jake Berger. Yeah. And I bet you Bill Cycle's an excellent walker. He's he. I heard he's a great, he's a long distance runner. I, I think he does the, uh, the Mohican Pine Man, I think is what he does. All right. Well, uh, 
There you have it. There are your overachievers. Ted? No? One of your favorite segments, Misspeak of the Week. And okay. I believe we may have two of them. First one, last week, Vice President Kamala Harris was speaking about the government's efforts to fight climate change. Listen closely. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. I want to double check to make sure I heard that correct correctly. She said reduce population. That's <laughs> so when we invest next week. in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Wait a minute. If if, if you reduce population, you're not going to have any children, are you? Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, you're going to have clean air. You just have less people. <laughs> Start clearing them out, I guess. I think she meant to say, uh, I think she was looking for pollution there. That's my two cents. Okay. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got that. Then uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre spoke to reporters on Monday about the uh, about the deadly wildfires in Hawaii. And during her remarks, she mentioned Hawaii's two senators. Senator Harino, who I said the president spoke to uh, just last night, he thanked the president uh, for the immediate support of federal agencies have delivered for residents of Hawaii, um, and so does has uh, so has uh, Senator Shorts 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 Shorts, um, and so um, look. Look, <laughs> the <shot>. problem. <laughs> the problem isn't just that. Uh, Jean-Pierre butchered the names of the senators. That's Senator Maisie Hirono and Senator Brian Schatz. The, the the other problem is that she referred to Senator Hirono as he. Sen Senator Hirono oh is the first female senator from Hawaii. She's serving her tech second term in the Senate after being in the House of Representatives for two straight terms. That's a rough go. <laughs> That's a rough go. That's not what you're looking for. <laughs> Short shots, 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 shots. That, once you were saying that, I was like, oh, my God. So <laughs> you know, oh, we, uh, we make fun of Joe Biden periodically uh, when he makes mistakes. And we say that the people, people, you know, they should have him prepared better. Yes. This is her job. I know. That's a different story. Yes. <laughs> she was not prepared. I, I think she was rattled. Obviously, it's Ow. a tough situation in Hawaii, what she's covering. But still, as a professional, you need to be ready. No doubt. Uh, well, there you go. There are your misspeaks of the week. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for Cleveland sports history. Let's bring in our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan. Dusty, interesting one for you. It's around the uh, birth of Ted Klopp, August 2nd, 1924. Uh, Ace first baseman Joe Hauser sets an AL record of 14 total bases in a game. What a contest. He had three homers and a double as Philadelphia beats Cleveland 12 to 4 at Dunfield. What can you tell us about this contest? And, and what can you tell us about Joe Hauser? Well, unfortunately, we're not doing a very good one as far as the uh, Cleveland franchise is concerned. But, yeah, we talk about Joe Hauser. They were the Philadelphia Athletics back then, and he was their first baseman. And like you said, three home runs, one double for 14 total bases, four for five. He drove in four. He scored four. But Joe Hauser was a first baseman, debuted in 1922 for Philadelphia, and didn't play long. He played for the Philly A's from 22 to 24, for some reason, missed 25, came back in 26. For some reason, missed 27, came back in 28. And then ironically, played his 30 or his age 30 year in 1929 in Cleveland. But he did not have a very long career. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Is this record inflated or deflated based upon the time that he played, would you say? Well, I'd say it's pretty impressive because you're talking about the dead ball era. And there wasn't a lot of power back then. So now, obviously, the record has been broken since. And the record is 19 now by Sean Green back in 2002. But to get 14 total bases back in the 20s when there wasn't a whole lot of power, 
and to hit three home runs, that gave him 18 at that point in the season. He finished hitting 27 homers and driving in 115. So aside from Babe Ruth, there just wasn't a lot of power back then. So that kind of makes this even more impressive. Dusty, obviously making this a little bit of a, a Cleveland angle. Who are some of the players that are playing for and we're talking Cleveland Indians at that time, correct? Was that the name correct. or was it, it wasn't Spiders. We're talking Indians, correct? We're talking Indians. And they did have some players that you recognize if you go back through the history. And, you know, guys like Tris Speaker and Joe and Luke Sewell. Um, the poor guy that took the loss that day on the mound was Joe Schott, who gave up six runs and two innings. And then the rest of the bullpen didn't do him any favors. But the other interesting thing is the Philadelphia pitcher, Stan Bumgardner, Went the complete game despite giving up 11 hits and four runs. He faced 41 batters. It doesn't say how many pitches he threw, but you can probably guess how many it was. Uh, it sounds like a lot. So, yeah. All right, Dusty. Obviously, thanks for the time as well for the info on professional sports, but want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about amateur sports. Ashton University is kicking things off here in the next couple of weeks as we start the fall season here for 2023. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's an exciting time. As a lot of people that listen to this know, I am the Director of Athletic Communications at Ashland, and we're gearing up for the start of the school year coming up. We have the 12th-ranked football team in the country, going to start the season on August 31st at number 16-ranked IUP over in Pennsylvania, and that's the team that knocked us out of the playoffs last year. So it's kind of a rarity to start one season against the team you end it against the previous year. So it's going to be very fascinating from several angles that way. And then the football team comes home on September 9th for the home opener against the two-time defending national champion, Ferris State. So we're looking forward to a big crowd and a great game there. But we've got a lot of excitement in our athletic department. We're coming off a GMAC President's Cup championship, which is the all-sports trophy. And we're looking forward to hopefully repeating and having a great season across the board. But, yeah, we have students on campus and uh, practicing, gearing up, and getting ready for 23-24. Unbelievable. Oh, this summer has just flown by. It uh, certainly has. And uh, like, I've, like I've told Kenny D many times, I, if I ever wrote an autobiography, it'd be called Every Day's a Monday. Because once we get into school year, it feels like it's it's Groundhog Day every single day and you're on call all the time. But when, when you do it, when you do what you love and you do it where your alma mater is and in your hometown, it's not nearly as bad as it could be. So well said. Oh. All right, Dusty. Well, uh, thank you very much for the info on the Eagles and uh, uh, the info on Cleveland sports. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! Oh, no. Not a dad joke. Ted, I wanted a cigar, but they were, they were too expensive. So I rolled some tobacco and a piece of brown construction paper. Hmm, how'd that go? It was close, but no cigar. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're coming to the end of episode number 120. Boy, we're just rolling right along here. Did you see, uh, I know there's one near you, the, the, the Winking Lizard restaurant. Did you hear about this? The Winking yes, Lizard? Yes, about, they're, they're not no going to have, have Winking lizard. Lizards anymore. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So I I just thought we'd mention that. Uh, I understand it's still kind of, I don't know. My kids always enjoyed, you know, they would go up and look and yeah. check the lizard out and whatnot. But I can see where that, you know, could become a bit of a challenge to keep the lizard comfortable. But no more winking. I don't know. I, I wonder if they'll change the name. Uh, uh, empty, em empty, empty. Uh, empty lizard uh, uh, box? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I They can't. They have the sauces. There's, the name's way too involved. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I did read that. Well, as they say, Ted, all good things come to an end, unfortunately. That's right. So. Well, just like this show, of course, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wrapping it up. Did you know that in two weeks, Tom Jenkins is going to join us? Tom Jenkins. Yeah, I, I do remember you sending me an email on that. that yes, yeah. Tom to him. Jenkins created the Cleveland Gaming Classic. Oh, this, this uh, he'll tell the story, but it started in his basement and now it's going to have thousands of people at the IX Center. 
That's so unbelievable. That it, what what a story that is just there. You start some think about something you start in your basement and then it ends up at the IX center. That that's insane. That's I guess crazy. it's grown a little. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Well, Ted, great show. Anything Today? exciting happening for you? I know the the kids are back to school. My kids start uh actually on Thursday. Next week they uh next week it all starts. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That's yeah, just yeah. Uh, that, that summer flew by. Uh, it's yep. just so many activities and all that kind of stuff. So we got well, safe safe travels, all the teachers and, and kids going back to school for sure. Absolutely. We got uh, uh, school. We got hockey, mm. we got football. Yeah. And we got soccer. You can't have any more. <laughs> you can't have any more. Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, you nice. could do some golf and. Do some other stuff, but I think sure. you have more than enough. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, Ted, great stuff. Uh, special thanks to John Grabowski. Another history lesson on Cleveland. Dusty Sloan on a Cleveland sports history. Um, our guest, Brad Forenza. A very exciting time for him as he has another uh, episode from his great podcast called Around the Sun. We appreciate the time with him. And then, uh, of course... You find folks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to uh, more fun and exciting stuff here in two weeks. Until then, just remember, we're two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.